Welcome to the New Space India podcast, a bi-weekly talk show that exclusively captures insightful conversations with people contributing to advancement of space activities in India. The New Space India podcast is pleased to announce our association with Dassault Systems, a global leader in providing business and people with collaborative virtual environments to imagine sustainable innovations. Dassault Systems Solutions supports startups small and medium sized enterprises and original equipment manufacturers in developing disruptive solutions for space launchers and satellite propulsion recently a supply chain digitization study with dassault systems was conducted to provide a foundational understanding of the supplier landscape in the indian space ecosystem please use the link in the description to download the public white paper of the results of this study which will also give you a perspective on how ready indian suppliers are to enter the global space market hi and welcome to the new space india podcast and today we have nitish who is the ceo of astrogate labs here with us to talk to us about their technology development with optical communications and how they would like to enter the space industry as an indian company serving the world welcome to the show nitish Thank you. Thanks, Anpi, for having me. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Great. So I know Astrogate Labs for the last few years, and you know you have been quietly working away in developing the technology that you are, uh, which is very fascinating, and probably the first time in India that somebody is trying to put together this suit of technology as an Indian company, or even I don't think there's even an effort within ISRO in what you're trying to do. So before we talk about Astrogate itself. can you talk a little bit about your own background and you know what got you into space and you know how astrobate then began yeah sure so uh, the passion for uh, space was always present uh, till now I, almost i have been in the space industry now for 7 7 and a half years uh, graduated from iit kharagpur in aerospace engineering with uh, both a bachelor's as well as a masters uh, during my third year roughly around i think uh, 2012 that's where i came to know much more about what what's happening on the space one sector and i was closely following xprize foundation that's when the time i learned about the google lunar xprize and also came to know that there's a indian team competing in that and that seems much more a fascinating opportunity for me uh early during that time i did certain internships with them uh which actually gave me a uh, much more detailed uh, overview of the whole uh, aerospace systems you know uh, how how to build the systems out after i graduated 2014 i decided to join them because that was my calling i worked there for almost three and a half years started early where my role was on uh, mission trajectory design and orbit estimation uh, later on i was handling the whole mission planning and operations team which was dealing with uh one aspect of that was obviously uh, the launch site provisioning the launch for for the uh, for our mission as well and the other side was uh, developing you know the mission operation software uh, testing that out as well as uh, you need uh, the ground stations for us uh, what we were doing is for lunar communication the only ground station sort of that was accessible for our data rates was either the nasa deep space network uh, the european uh, deep space uh, ground station or the isro ids so that's actually got me into much more on the sat- satellite communication area 
uh, learned what the challenges was there. Uh, my co-founder Aditya is also an XTI employee. Uh, he is mostly on the mechanical engineering and thermal development side. We bounce for, uh, bounce this idea to and fro uh, within ourselves, came with a proposal. And uh, right early on, uh, somewhere around mid-2017, decided to uh, look at it from an external perspective. So what's happening on the communication side with our connects that was uh, established across uh, the space sector uh, with uh, mentors who was very helpful to provide us uh, quick answers and uh, uh, know-how of what these systems are doing and what the challenges are. We were able to draft a plan out to start doing the optical communication side and how to build about uh, the product portfolio that, that we want to do. So that, that's how we roughly came about being. Right. And when you started all of these things, you know, how was uh, the journey? Because uh, I'm sure that you did some research to know that uh, there's perhaps nobody in India trying to build what you were planning to build, right? Right. So uh, when, when we started venturing into this optical communication space, uh, one of the things we checked was what, what were the systems that are available. And obviously the precursor to that is what, what is the exact challenges on the communication one side. So we see uh, that obviously the optical communication development has been there for more than 20, 25 years. Uh, but the major bottleneck that we felt was the lack of availability of product, which was more suited to the small satellite uh, category. And at that time also, there was not many heritage terminal within, within, within the space. As of now also, that, that's the case. Uh, the bigger satellite terminals, so you know, if you talk about TASAT and all that, they have already well-established terminals. Those are for bigger classes of satellite. Uh, where we see right now small satellite as the basic medium for any private companies that are venturing out into satellite application, whether it is Earth observation or information satellites or even uh, certain technology demonstrations or communication uh, in, the, in the communications area. So uh, we started exploring with uh, uh, our mentors. And one of the key things we realized is uh, even though certain systems, optical communication that was in uh, to be uh, I'm in the process of the build out, uh, and, and this I'm talking about globally, I'll, I'll come to the India part also. also. So globally, when, when we saw that uh, one was the basic uh, challenges of optical communications, however counterintuitive it sounds, uh, it's not communication in itself, because if you look at terrestrial fiber optic communications, it's almost the same sort of technology. Only the problem is we are, we are not using the optical fiber as a means, as a medium to communicate here. It's, it's just free space that adds more challenges in terms to uh, accurately point the beam and how, how does it acquire that. Uh, the major challenges we felt was the small satellite uh, itself, their attitude uh, capabilities in terms of pointing as well as attitude, attitude knowledge was very much limited. And the systems uh, that was being built Almost in every case, it requires certain tuning on the attitude estimation uh, systems uh, and on the control system also where you have to swap for very stable high reaction wheels to, to do that. And we wanted to make a product which is readily fitted into any satellite that comes out. Uh, so we jot down all those specifications that we wanted. Uh, on the India one side, we saw that there was an opportunity obviously to uh, develop this uh, uh, out uh, from here and that gave us one more opportunity to actually indigenize much of the system so early on 
uh, during the year we also took the call that will mostly want to indigenize uh, the system out started with uh, subsystems uh, technology and uh, primarily uh, the pointing technology that we wanted uh, then we started to do early test on that and then finally communication system by the end of 2018 we were able to put together a quick uh, prototype that we tested for multiple long distances in uh, in a static sense where on, on the terrestrial one side and then finally started doing certain quad rotor tests as well so i in india i think the major challenges for us for, for starting was because we were starting mostly from scratch we had to develop the whole tech stack so that took quite a bit of time but uh, i think that that was the right way way to do it because there were certain systems that required uh, much more uh, maturity right and for the benefit of the listeners i think uh, what would be also interesting to hear from you is you know why optical communications because i do understand that there are some advantages when it comes to optical communications against traditional rf technology or other you know means in that sense so i think right. for the benefit of the listeners it will be also interesting for you to talk about you know what are the drawbacks of uh, rf communications and what is the benefit of optical and then you know maybe even some disadvantages of optical where rf fills those gaps and how that technology actually makes sense in today's world in terms of applications as well right so uh, one of the key things is uh, if you look about rf communications it's not very scalable if you want very high bandwidths or want to communicate at longer distances almost certainly you have to increase the power and deploy on the receiver side you have to have a much uh, wider receiver aperture there so that that increases the cost on uh, both the sides if let's say you're doing satellite to ground communication you need a uh, bigger ground antennas here to support that which increases the whole cost of provisioning this link uh, the other challenges on the satellite one side is because this whole mass is increased uh, uh, and and the power requirements on the satellite side is increased if we have to replace it with a, a more efficient way of communication Uh, laser communication is the way to go uh, but having said that uh, i am not saying that laser communication can replace totally rf communication there are certain areas that rf currently excels uh, specifically when you want to do point to multi point communication those sort of links will not be replaced uh, take, talking from a satellite uh, application perspective let's say talk about uh, the low cost global broadband satellites that are coming up in that case the user terminal to the satellite one side will always primarily remain on rf but where uh, terminals can be replaced and will provide additional cost benefit is uh, on the satellite to satellite communication side uh, similarly if you talk about satellite to ground communication scenarios uh, there are applications where uh, you have a very high amount of data that needs to be downlink from the satellite and in order to do that over uh, let's say uh, at the day it will be you have to provision multiple rf transmissions just just do that so it it uh, reduces that overhead in a small form factor which reduces power and cost and in turn totally reduces the cost that that's what the opportunities in rf are sorry the opportunities in optical communications are uh, also uh, the other advantage is uh, optical communications as such is uh, unlicensed band one of the reasons that uh, uh satellites or ground station need to pay spectrum licensing fees is 
because RF beam is always very broad. So, and owing to the limited number of uh, frequency slots that are there, uh, it's possible that the other satellite might not be used within that vicinity. So that's always required to pay a spectrum license on the RF side. And optical side just is a very narrow dedicated beam. You save a lot of power. Inherently, you save on the total mass of the terminal. Uh, and then finally saved on the total cost of the link. Excellent. And one of the challenges in optical communication technology is also in terms of uh, how do you miniaturize and also keep the high data rates that are possible in that sense. So yeah. traditionally, you know, I know that there's a lot of experiments being done for the last 20 years, maybe in optical communications to make it happen, but they have always been in larger systems with, you know, bigger optics and bigger stations maybe and so on. So what is the challenge in, you know, making a, a miniaturized or even a, a smaller optical optical communication system and what kind of data rates do you think you can achieve in different sizes of satellites at different power levels? Right. So, uh, yeah, one of the major challenges which uh, really makes it uh, very constrained to put it in a small form factor is uh, the pointing constraint itself. So I, I will draw the parallel from starting from a higher class of satellites. If you look at uh, higher uh, terminals which are right now operational, they employ something sort of a four stage to five stage precision control mechanism. So the amount of uh, components, the control actuators and the estimators much increases for that. The cost also increases by that. Uh, if we have to do that for a smaller satellite, that's not a way to go. So certain uh, developments that has happened is what they have done is uh, just put the optics uh, side of it and uh, almost all of the pointing constraints has been put on the satellite. So if the satellite can roughly do around 0.1 degrees and all, then you will be able to achieve uh, the data rates that you're expecting. So, but I, we felt that that's not the way to go because then you are actually asking for additional development on the size of the satellite and it will not be readily deployable. So we decided to see this and split the requirements. Always, we wanted to limit the number of control stages to a minimum in order to minimize the stages. Uh, so we decided, okay, let's let's look at what the satellites right now are capable to do. If you look at any satellite, uh, small satellites in, in, in this uh, sense, they would be able to do within one, 1.5 degrees of uh, control uh, stability. So we decided to look at that aspect. Uh, so satellite can roughly point within that. And then our systems, uh, if let's say I don't have a very precise uh, precision pointing, I still need the beam to be as much diverse as 1.5 degrees. So which obviously increases the power for me to do that. Then we decided to implement a very fine pointing system uh, dedicated, which we indigenize uh, with, with a certain component uh, already put in place. So that enables us to put higher bandwidth in a very smaller form factor. Uh, the other challenge also is uh, the link acquisition. In most of the time when we talk about optical communication that has been tested, you will see in at the back end, there's always an RF link used for an initial acquisition uh, because you have to establish uh, the precision position of the satellite where it was uh, and, and the ground station, and then you have to finally track it. So those are the certain challenges you want to minimize that part uh, as well. So we sort of started doing with 
uh, autonomous acquisition approach where ground station without any RF communication network are as a, a priority to that can still uh, communicate and establish optical communication that way. So, so yeah, this is a difficult task, but we have to look at what's available in the market, what they can do and build the technology around it that supports optical. And one of the aspects of all of this is, of course, you know, you need to find backers to you to mature this technology. And this is definitely not something very simple to mature as a technology. It needs a lot of engineering and a lot of hacking into different things to test everything out and right. you know to build it up. So, of course, you know, one of the challenges has been for many of the companies, uh, although you are, a, let's say, much more older company in terms of all the young companies that are coming up today. Uh, I'm sure that you had your own set of challenges in raising, you know, money, finding backers to doing all of this. So how was Astrogate able to get traction in terms of investment and, uh, and you know, to mature the technology itself? Right. Yeah, so funding has always been a challenge, especially when we talk about uh, deep tech companies that require uh, multiple uh, stages in which you mature the technology and further go to market. Uh, I see that uh, this is now opening up. If you see the last one, one to two years, there's significant uh, uh, funding that has gone into uh, space technology companies. When we started in roughly fall of 2017, uh, for us, the major challenges was to get to an, at least a prototype one stage so that we can go and raise uh, an, an early round. Uh, so we decided first to bootstrap it and in terms of development also there was one challenge like you need uh, to have uh, at least a lab to uh, start testing out these there are obviously incubator firms and all that provided but our major challenge that that came out to be is we wanted to have a communication that can do all roles one gbps and most of the labs are not equipped to handle that sort of a signal rate so we set up a small lab uh, we bootstrapped the company for almost six to uh, for, for almost eight months, uh, where we uh, early on finished our whole concept of the fine uh, steering and uh, acquisition system. Then back we raised uh, from friends and family, uh, extended colleagues who were in the space technology sector, and and we know from word of mouth, and they they also know us about what we are doing. Uh, we also got an early DST grant. That was another way to actually raise uh, early fund that get. Uh, this was actually to develop this terminal uh, much further and uh, show that a prototype terminal can actually communicate overall scale distance. So that also got us to certain runway uh, in uh, by by end of 2018, uh, roughly around. Uh, Q3 2018, we started looking early fund for further maturing the terminal and developing the flight terminal itself. And that was, uh, I would say, a long, perilous journey for, for us. It took uh, quite a time, almost uh, nine months for us to close this round, having talked to over 35 uh, VCs and then angel investors. Post that, I think uh, we, are, we, are, we are very much... Uh, uh, happy that that we closed that round and the support that we got and the conviction that we are receiving from our investors right now has pushed us much further to mature the technology and at, at this stage we are just looking at flying flying the terminal so we are already at our trl7 for our flight terminal 
and what about you know getting help from local you know scientists or experienced uh, folk was there any interest or even for example their own experience relevant for you guys because i have definitely seen many of the other startups like you know maybe bellatrix or pixel or others who have you know gone on right. to leverage some of the knowledge that some of the scientists in isro or drdo have had in because you know they are just developing the next phase of this technology for uh, small satellites or thrusters or so on but in your case you know you are developing something entirely new and i don't think there is any division within isro or so on that is actually working on any optical related stuff you know correct me if i'm wrong but what was right. your kind of challenge in uh, getting you know help or support from outside anyone yeah so mostly the help and support uh, we uh, we got from our mentors as well there was a series of isro mentors and then a bunch of overseas i have been interacting to multiple organizations uh, in the past uh, d- during my uh, i mean uh, during my pre- previous work at uh, ti so i was able to bounce out certain queries uh, yeah one of the challenges was no one was dedicatedly working into optical communications so no one one can actually tell us what what they are doing uh, and how to solve that whole optical communication challenge so but we were able to break down that problem and actually look for dedicated experts for separate things so we looked at okay this is the control system that i want to build can i build that or not and there was actually advisors who uh, and mentors early on that helped us in that regard both from accessro background ecpsa uh, as well as uh, people who have worked in building early companies out so so they all assisted assisted us in establishing establishing this out and actually some of them them are still continuing uh, to mentor us in that regard so uh, the challenge was basically we have to broken broke down that whole problem into okay i i don't you cannot tell us more about the optical communication but at least okay this is the control system i want to build and whether what would be the best way to test it out and finally on the uh, let's say on the electronics one side when we are actually building uh, boards that are high frequencies we need to do 1.1 gbps and beyond modulation data rates how do i build that out what what should be the constraints and all that so that way it helped us uh, obviously it took uh, certain trials for us to get get to that stage uh, in in terms of prototyping each each of the subsystem and testing that out but yeah so there are of course you know the a lot of uh, core components and technologies within optical communication systems including the transmitter that you know have to do with let's say the source of light or as you said you know modulators and pointing systems and all of these things and including also the the ground segment of all of this uh, and one of the challenges in india is that you almost have nobody who is able to supply a lot of these things at the component level almost because most of the indian suppliers are concerned mostly in build to print and manufacturing of electronic boards and things like that so was there a lot of challenges in terms of uh, identifying components vendors you know procuring them to then test everything together yeah in in terms uh, you are right actually in uh, if you talk about all related to optical systems uh there are no indian manufacturers or vendors vendor who does that uh in fact uh, what we need is is lasers and sensors and then obviously the ic industries 
has much to uh, do about it. And owing to the limitation of the suppliers, we were obviously looking much more outside. Uh, the other challenge is obviously um, we have to limit our uh, component vendors to non-ITA. That's the way that we wanted to build out the system, not to go into the dual use uh, application of this, at least when we are build, building out the prototype terminals and across. Uh, so we look at uh, mul multiple vendors, mostly from the European eco ecosystem. Uh, in fact, the components that we are procuring currently now is mostly from Europe, and these mostly range from lasers, which cannot be procured here. There's no vendors uh, available right now. Then there are electro-optical sensors, the receiver basically with that converts that light into an electrical signal. Those, those sort of things are the major components uh, we have to look at suppliers outside. They've, and there was initial challenges owing uh, you know, uh, an early stage company. So there's also a perspective view that they have, like what, what you would be using it in, in which applications and all. It took time for us to, to, to get uh, that stage. But uh, finally that, that got resolved uh, with the, the suppliers we have in the European ecosystem. And what about the ground segment as well? Because uh, you have the transmitter that you are building together. Uh, how do you, you know, mature the ground system technology or are you also partnering with somebody to work with you in that sense? So on the ground system side, majorly, again, we are building the whole system out. Uh, the component On the component one side, mostly the ground system you can look at is optical communication ground station is basically one telescope then fit on uh, on the back end with uh, multiple electronics and control systems in there. Since this we already tested out for a flight terminal, we know that the back end and all that we can build out. Uh, the telescopes was uh, the major thing that, that we were looking at uh, suppliers, both from an Indian ecosystem and outside who can provide us that. Uh, and we also looked at uh, commercial of the self uh, telescopes uh, in, in, in that sense. We wanted to comply as to get a technology which can be easily uh, made up with these components also and reduce the cost for the whole optical ground. So there, one of the challenges was basically on the cost one side, I need to know the whole optical parameters and of, of the telescope system. And that's normally no, no vendor providing. So we then finally decided to uh, try out with the uh, COTS, uh, I mean, a build to order telescope terminal as well. But that was also having a severe complications in, in that uh, an early test. Finally, as, as such, what we are doing is uh, the telescopes are built by our partners. Uh, we, we take that telescope, uh, the whole electronics and all final backend stack and everything is built by us. Uh, and then finally, uh, then there is always a telescope mount as well, which provides rough, uh, rough corresponding assembly. Those are also uh, built by our partners. The whole integration and the backend fine post uh, precision systems and all that. Right, and one of the aspects of all of this is uh, how do you actually test it in space to make sure you know everything works in that sense, and you could also simulate some of those tests on the ground. How different is it to test these things on the ground, and then how how different is it when it is in on a satellite when you know it is moving at seven kilometers per second or so on? So, how do you make sure that the tests that you conduct on the ground? you know, can simulate like space environment in terms of the link distance and everything else as well. 
Right. So what we normally do in a scale test, obviously, uh, the terminal that we are building is for a thousand kilometer link distance from a satellite. And on a terrestrial one case, I cannot get a thousand kilometer. So we do multiple tests, starting with a lab where we uh, basically test out the receiver on the expected power levels. So what is my expected power level from a beam that is traveling over 1000 kilometers as it reaches the receiver? So we test out that system and see what was the receiver sensitivity and other things are. And uh, similarly on the optical side, uh, on the transmitter side as well, where how much of the data modulation I, I can adapt to for, for that link distance. Then finally, and, and this again as in a, in a static sense, so we are looking at the terminals not moving, but obviously that's not a realistic case. Uh, so then we, pro we proceeded on to doing ground trials where there's one fixed uh, receiver and the transmitter is uh, moving, moving around that. Those tests validated both the things. One is if, if I scale the distances and my power levels are also, sca also scaled up, then I know my receiver will work as well as uh, in terms of a slew rate, let's say satellites mostly are slewing uh, close to around one degrees to two degrees in, in, in a minute, that's lesser than that. So those sort of uh, scale down tests we have to conduct here outside with one terminal moving and one terminal fixed. Uh, then finally wanted to see how it will perform if the terminal is put on a a uh, much more moving platform. Uh, we tested it out into uh, quad rotor platforms early on where we put the transmitter up on the quad rotor page and the ground station was tracking it. Uh, those early tests validated our whole control system in the sense. And link range, obviously you can only do scale tests. You can scale the power down and test it. This is working at that level and still able to decode all the data. That's how we validated it. Uh, one of the key things uh, other than that is with which you cannot test mostly at this link level is how much is the atmospheric uh, effect adds to it. So that mostly does goes into the modeling of uh, the thing and the simulations, uh, which you know from already established tests that has been done on optical communications, uh, atmospheric parameters, you can plug in and then you can see, okay, at, at these parameters, it is going to work like that. So those are mostly in the simulations and the first test that, that we will do will actually get us more numbers on those atmospherics uh, as well which can further uh, let us met, uh, let us tune the turbel much more precisely. That, that's more of it. Yeah, and also I did read that uh, you guys have, I think, signed up with Momentus for the first uh, technology demonstration, right? Yeah, uh, we, we signed this launch contract uh, mid last year. Uh, so Momentus is providing us the launch for this on a SpaceX uh, launch vehicle. Uh, this is coming up in December 21, uh, and obviously we, we needed the ground station also. So one uh, major help that we got early in 2019 was uh, after we developed the prototype and test, we were recognized on the India Innovation Growth Program Challenge. So that award we got, as well as we got into the Venture Catalyst Space Program uh, in Australia. They were looking, Australia actually is looking for multiple deep tech technologies, which is more lined with the space one side. And they were looking for advanced communication RF. So that uh, that good us, uh, that gave us a good opportunity to be tied into that ecosystem and uh, get support from there. They, they were very helpful uh, in that regard. 
uh, till now we we have actually collaborated with uh, multiple universities one one of the thing that we are doing with regard to this launch is a collaboration with the university of tasmania which uh, they are providing us a site to put our optical ground station so that way actually we can test the whole thing both the flight as and uh, get flight heritage on both of them and how do you see this uh, technology being adopted you know in terms of customer base at this point of time do you foresee international customers as your first customers or do you believe that you know given that you are an indian company and there is proximity to other indian uh, you know startups that are also building satellites today uh, some of your first adopters will be within india so uh, on the uh on the market side we actually established two or three things depending on the laser links as well uh, one is on the space to ground side we are mostly having uh, certain uh, early customers who are ready to test it out once we have light heritage these are uh, overseas satellite constellation operators who are uh, flying up their first two satellites in a, in a sense so so that was one area uh, other area at least on the home ground we have uh, opportunities and uh, early attraction in establishing these terminals for more uh, high altitude platforms and other links so that that's one more area uh, of engagement at least on, on the on the indian side of it as of now we see early adopters is mostly on the satellite one uh, satellite constellation operators were were ready to fly this once we have from a global standpoint uh, right now and then finally there's a uh, on the space to space uh, communication side also we have early clients who are interested to test out if, if we build that right and when you talk to a lot of these customers that are out there as a indian company you know as an indian entrepreneur as such what is the perception as uh, indian technology or an indian deep tech uh, company that is working on a specific technology and a specific subsystem do you see that you have yeah. certain advantages because like let's say isro has a very good reputation of being very reliable or you know this that that does does that transfer to you or are there any like let's say drawbacks that saying that uh, you know we need to rely more on american or israeli or whatever uh, european technology uh so actually to, to be honest uh, that sort of perception is still there which is it's reducing so a deep tech uh, company building a product out from india uh, can be done so that's always that uh, risk the that's the thing we have felt at least in our earlier talks but we are happy to we were more than happy to engage them on our developments and that seems to change uh, over time also one of the things that they are actually looking from india is they know okay the the whole ecosystem here exists with all the work that is by isro and the earlier vendor ecosystem that has been developed so there is uh, you know the capability to develop certain systems but uh, whether it will meet uh, the requirements of their satellites because most of the vendor ecosystem if you see was mostly built to order components for isro right and they they don't have much of a flight heritage they they can transfer that knowledge base to building certain systems which is much more globally acceptable in that standardized uh design and and the form factor that is needed 
and then the added benefit is uh, what at least the overseas players saw in us is the ability to uh, reduce the cost of our turbine. In fact, uh, much of the optical communication adoption right now is limited by two things. One is there's a lack of uh, product itself in the small satellite category if we talk about. And then there is the cost of these terminals and the ground. So something that can provide these high links on the optical link, but may be compatible to an RF, uh, cost, RF cost. That's what they're looking for. And actually we, we were very, very, very thrilled how this has turned out positive for us over the last few years. And one of the you know touchy things also here, I've seen this multiple times uh, on my own, in fact, as uh, such as well, that when it comes to a lot of these uh, technology, you know, when you establish the technology, that the technology is good enough and it's comparable to any other part of the world as well. One of the things that people often come back and tell me is that, oh, you know, you are an Indian company, so it should, it should be like, you know, half the price or three times less price than a European company or an American company. Uh, do you see this mindset still going where people can come back to you and say, you have to give me this at half the price because you're an Indian company or has the market really changed its uh, mindset on all of this? So actually, uh, this mindset I, I've seen has changed. In fact, we didn't face much of this issue because our cost, maybe our cost was already onto that mark that, that they were expecting. Because most of the optical communication terminals right now, if you talk about highest, that's at least a six, six digit number. And uh, on the medium side is in upwards of $100,000. So we, we are at sub $100,000 category. That's, that, that was very attractive. Uh, to the potential customers uh, out there. Well, there was a bit of perception on uh, how much uh, readily the cost can be reduced in terms of a production variant, but I think that that, that can be handled at a later. So not, not much specifically that, that we got, like you know, you're an Indian customer and can provide us at a much lower cost. That didn't so much as happen. And one of the interesting things here, of course, is um, the adoption by ISRO, perhaps, of your technology. And one of the challenges, of course, from what I see is from ISRO's side is that they often you know, take a very long time to shift gears in terms of technologies within satellites. And, you know, even to this day, there is no, I think, green propulsion in some of these satellites. And they're still struggling to move forward with all electric satellites and things like that. So it's not very easy to get them to change designs to adopt new things when it comes to all of these subsystems and so on. So do you see any possibility for you to either serve, you know, ISRO requirements or DRDO requirements? And there's a real opportunity for you to get into their procurement system and, you know, serve those missions as well. Right. So actually, we are in a very early stage in terms of uh, the ISRO and uh, DRDO engagement. We, we do have a certain interest from them. So, so it's, it's a bit early for us to tell how this will go. Uh, having said that, we have seen that it has turned around in, in a positive manner uh, since the last um, first ISRO interaction and all we had roughly in 2018 to to give us like what we are building and how does it pan out so yeah so those those things has changed right now as you can see 
uh, with the adoption of uh, uh, really taking actively active steps in terms of uh, supporting the startups and maturing the technology how much it can be absorbed within the isro ecosystem and how much the technology can be there i think at least for us it's a bit early to tell and when it comes to let's say uh, these uh, current changes that are happening with the policy changes and everything else you know that seems more towards a satellite operator or you know companies that want to build launch vehicles where they want to get access to launch pads and everything like that to get access to isro facilities and to get clearances to do all of these tests and everything is there anything that you take away for yourself as a company in all of these current reforms yeah so one one of the things is uh, we we are looking for uh, is maturing the technology much further and early on we were all, already talking for a, like a launch opportunity that you can provide us to mature our terminals further as you know the plans have mostly changed we are now doing a dedicated satellite uh, mission altogether but uh, within that ecosystem how much uh, isro can at least help us in the uh, if we talk about the integration one side and obviously on the regulatory one side and the frequency clearance and other for the side those are the takeaways that that we have right now uh, in the longer term we are also uh, looking forward to like having a ground station here in india our the first terminal is actually an experimental ground terminal that we bring to australia later on we want to deploy multiple ground ground station across the globe and uh, uh support from isro in this regard would be much much useful for us. so those are some of the takeaways that we have as of now and we see uh, i mean things progressing in that manner yeah and in fact you know one of the anecdotes here is i know actually a bunch of indian companies working in deep tech and have produced some of these products on the defense side and they actually did not really get initial traction from drdo or so on or any of these defense end users and you know they were able to sell globally first and show the rollout of their products outside of india first and then you know there was confidence in indian system and the government you know establishments to procure that as an indian product uh, so i think you know this is the trend that i see mostly happening possibly with isro and drdo with respect to space as well where companies may be forced to get early customers from abroad first from india you know roll out their product and show that they have customers abroad and then possibly it gets easier to sell it to isro and drdo yeah that that's actually correct what you're mentioning is that sort of a mindset i would say is is prevalent uh, in a sense if you are indian company and you can still sell certain products outside that gives you much more credibility in order to get into the ecosystem early uh i i see maybe that that will change over time i can't really comment on that uh, right right now yeah and you know what kind of programs would you think would have benefited you you know apart from funding almost funding is always something that everybody lacks and everybody struggles for and everything else but in your sense you know given your journey for the last so many years if there were some things that you think would be on your bucket list that would have helped you a lot that has to do nothing with funding but anything else what would that be 
yeah so one of the thing is basically uh, the sort of uh, as, as i mentioned earlier for one 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 of the challenges for us was uh, having to build out a small lab uh, ourselves because most of the incubation firms and all that doesn't support the amount of work or the type of work that, that we were doing so the systems and all that really doesn't help how how far that goes and and actually that time this was not too much prevalent as well on the space technology one side how you can get much more interested in actually how how these systems are being developed so that sort of a ecosystem if would have uh, been much better who can basically uh, people who are actively working within the isro and drdo environment they know what sort of technology uh, if that sort of framework is already worked okay if a certain startup is already working on that and we can provide them okay these are my bare sort of minimum requirements that, that we are looking at and you can the startups can on their own develop that and get early mentorship from from the likes of isro or drdo that would have expedited i think our development effort other things also which i should have mentioned to you earlier is uh if we talk about uh, our system specifically there is also much more of a precision manufacturing required in terms of lenses and their alignments and other stuff and and this ecosystem is not outside and these are mostly within the drdo and uh environment so early access to the lab and how actually a startup can uh use that would be would have been useful but i think we are, we are already way past that right now and things have already changed Risro is right now providing facilities for others as well as startups. And what do you expect to test out of this uh, first flight demonstrator? Is it that uh, you know, apart from establishing the link itself, uh, do you want you and testing the data rates itself? Are you also looking at testing, you know, what happens during cloud cover and you know some of those things? Yeah, so we are evaluating it for. the whole uh, performance envelope for us one of that is obviously uh, we we are acquiring the whole link autonomously with our ground station uh, beacon acquisition system that that's that sort of a system that that we developed for this uh, other than that how much the performance degrades in terms of atmospherics uh, for an optical communication link uh, everyone knows the and almost the challenge is mostly cloud but cloud as we see are the sort of challenge mostly come up in satellites that are much more closer to earth so if we can dynamically allocate ground stations within the vicinity that provides you much more higher coverage so we want to evaluate that uh, option as well how much uh, of a zone coverage we can have for optical communication ground stations uh, which areas actually can provide you know higher uh, around the year uh, up time for optical ground stations and do you expect that uh, you know you also will roll out a ground network around the world for all of this because at the end of the day you know you need multiple stations around the world to be able to downlink uh, data more quickly and let's say uh, more frequently given different passes and everything so do you see yourself you know evolving towards being a let's say full solution provider you know vertically integrating from 
being able to build both uh, terminals and ground terminals, flight terminals and ground terminals, and also will have stations to provide a, a fully integrated solution at the end. Yeah, that's our whole vision. Uh, that's that's our vision actually to get it up for a full stack solution right from satellite one side to the downlink one area. Here, primarily what we are looking at the downlink uh, optical communication site is tying with uh, overseas partners to deploy the ground station much more quicker. That's, that's our prime strategy that, that we are going ahead with. And the terminals obviously is, is built by us. Right. And one of the aspects here is, you know, the cost of ground terminal running, not just the ground terminals themselves, right? So for example, uh, KSAT has a lot of these uh, terminals, RF ground stations in Svalbard, uh, very, you know, part of Greenland, for example, right? So, and definitely some of the challenges there is more just the access itself, providing electricity for it, you know, going, sending technicians to maintain that ground segment. In fact, those are more expensive than the cost of the, the ground station itself over time, I suppose. So do you believe that if you have a lot of these terminals outside of India, there is a significant cost to not developing the, uh, you know, the ground station itself, but then running it actually? Yeah, actually, uh, one of the major costs of these ground stations is actually the running cost itself. But all, that also depends on uh, the size of your antenna systems and all. So if you look up mostly, which is prevalent right now, has been in UHF communication for uh, just the uh, bare bones telemetry and telecommand to the satellite. Those can be re now readily deployed on any uh, rooftop. So most of the systems that, that are being uh, deployed, these ground stations right now is for on telecommunication building rooftops and uh, other. Because the power requirements are lower, you can readily deploy it uh, within that scenario. Uh, for bigger optical ground stations, which I'm talking about one meter and all, it's already established. It does require that sort of a location, that sort of a power and these requirements. But our ground stations are much smaller. The power requirements are not that huge. So we are looking at areas where that can be readily deployed, how current uh, the S-Band or the UHF communications uh, terminals are, are deployed readily. The bigger terminals obviously require much more uh, you know, uh, outside city areas, full-time uh, power supply, uh, and also location to a grid network there where they can have access to that uh, high voltage power supplies. So in, in that way, we are able to do away with that. So the, the, const the constraints of having these uh, ground stations much more closer to that area goes away, uh, which in turns, obviously reduces the whole operational cost, cost of this uh, ground station, as well as makes it much more easier to deploy in multiple areas. And what do you think about, uh, you know, this, when it comes to the kind of satellites that will actually fly some of these uh, terminals? Because at the end of the day, you have most of the high data rate requirements to be you know, either Earth observation satellites that are having video or, you know, very high resolution imagery or things like that, which uh, need these things. And then is there also some of these communication satellites that need these high data rates or 
you know, is what is the niche within the satellite market for all of this? So yeah, in, in terms of the communication, there, there are two areas. Uh, one is the space to ground and the space to space link. Uh, talking specifically of the optical communication opportunities on the space to ground right now, if you see uh, just the percentage of terminals that are sold for uh, the smaller satellite class, which are doing uh, applications primarily in Earth observations and other, roughly 10% of them, those satellites right now goes for a high speed link. Of that, some of the optical communication terminals are there, which are mostly technology demonstration missions. Then there is X-band, which is still uh, still still prevalent. And then the KAKU band terminals, which as of now, there are also limitation of these terminals for the nano satellite one area. We see that expanding uh, because there is a need for high speed uh, downlink uh, data. Most of the most of the systems uh, that these satellite operators are coming from is they have a need to downlink much more data in a day. Uh, any solution that can provide them a much faster downlinks and then can cover their whole data demand for a day, they are able to look at that on the space to come side. So that, that's one of the area that we are uh, directly targeting with, with our first terminal. The other area which is the, the bigger uh, area on, in just supplying terminal sales to the satellites is uh, space to space links primarily in uh, global broadband use case. So if you talk about uh, there are right now in development Starlink already on the beta phase, then there are uh, OneWeb and Project, which are trying to catch up. They, they know that space to space communications on laser just makes sense, uh, saving a lot of cost there. Then there is an inherent advantage. Uh, if you look about the last, uh, last January launch of uh, the Starlink terminal, at least on the polar one side, they have uh, for the most of the polar satellites they have used laser com uh, for space to space communications. And the reason they did it because is first is right now most of the ground station terminals, uh, uh, the Starlink constellations are putting up is they need one ground station in the satellite footprint, uh, which are mostly right now on the US one region. So for each of the user terminals within the satellite footprint, you need one. RF ground station. We can imagine the number of satellites and the number of ground stations also increases. So that cost benefit trade-off uh, with having RF systems, uh, deploying multiple RF ground stations uh, can be done away if low cost optical communications can be fit for satellites providing space to space link. So, th so that's one of the reasons they're doing away, um, they're going forward with that is, uh, but most of the terminals right now, uh, the optical terminal cost is also high. So if there is a provision where we can reduce the cost of the optical communication terminal, it will match the cost of, uh, match, it will be lesser the cost of deploying multiple ground stations for each satellite footprint. And then added technology advantage is the latency also reduces, where now you have to hop, and if you put multiple RF ground station within the satellite footprint and then hop it again over on the terrestrial communication infrastructure, Back to that, it increases the latency. Uh, if you just put intra-satellite laser com, then there's only one hop for any two satellites within that area. So there's an inherent technology advantage. Uh, the major limitation, as we see right now, as we are studying these market, is uh, there's an inherent satellite operators are doing that inherent cost to benefit uh, 
study in this where deploying let's say 10 rf ground stations is compatible with one laser communication terminal that's one of the area that we see heavily increasing uh, in the current ecosystem yeah and one of the you know again from the user side of all of this right when i think about it i wonder if uh, the defense guys would actually be more interested in this than others because you know you can correct me if i'm wrong that uh, there is possibly reduction of this beam width and the layer of encryption that they can get and all of these probably give them a fairly better advantage than typical rf stuff right so actually yeah defense there is some interest more in from from the indian side as well and also globally for these terminals where they can be readily deployed on aircrafts to high altitude platforms so that sort of interest is there and defense as you know i mean the cost is not too much of a concern it's mostly how much it fits within their requirement the major need that as they are seeing there is uh, the inherent security these optical communication links can provide uh, in in that scenario they are looking at how these technology can be further matured where you get much more higher reliable links and in fact the data rates also goes up 10 gbps and beyond and i also wanted to ask you because i don't know much about uh, quantum communications and you know how these uh, qubits and everything work with respect to establishing links and uh, quantum key distribution and things like that of course quantum you're again talking about lasers in some form or the other uh, as i see it can you broadly explain you know how is it different all of this optical communication and you know what is going on in the quantum communication world i would not be the right person to actually bridge that gap uh, because i don't think anyone and most of the people doesn't relate to the quantum right now but yeah the inherent similarities between two of them is the provision of an optical terminal itself uh, if you want to do quantum encryption you still need an optical communications one front end uh, all together to just establish that communication that's was uh, if you see some of the players already are doing that post from the uh, global space agencies and certain startups are already tar- targeting that use cases um, as of now and and this is just our opinion we don't see um, uh, that market going up uh, at least in the short term for, for that area and that's also the access to that sort of a technology and all that is limited in a sense require multiple testouts to do that uh, i think the major again this mostly will come from a defense use case uh, the optical communication terminal will come up front and then the implementation of further encryption on other quantum encryption on top of and go so i see mostly these going on the defense one areas right now and then again it depends on where uh, the, these players are targeting from right and you know you have now signed your uh, technology demonstration for the end of the year and probably shipping out uh, the final flight units and so on and from what i've read, read on the public uh, broadcasts uh, as well is that uh, vishesh and uh, specialists have backed you guys uh, as one of the early investors as well in your seed round uh, to establish you know yourself in the market you probably will need a lot more uh, going in terms of uh, funding and then bridging to 
be able to produce multiple of these units to provide it to end users and customers. Uh, are you facing any challenges in terms of talking to people and getting their confidence in terms of raising a Series A or uh, how is it going for you guys when it comes to like taking this to the next level when it comes to productionizing all of this technology? So specifically on the funding side, yeah, um, we actually Spatial has supported us a lot. Uh, the conviction in us really drove us to to get get to this stage as well. Uh, one of the key things on raising the fund basically from a deep tech or a space tech angle is that there's a lot of uh, you know uh, investor education that is required and that it takes time to build it. So in a sense, I would not say as a problem, but yeah. Uh, since this is also an area which is come, which is an upcoming sector uh, in India as well as and Indian investors are at at the moment not too much, uh, don't have too much knowledge at least on this end. So there's a lot of uh, investor education that goes with that, and how when will the returns come and other things. So that takes up time, I would say, uh, and. One more aspect of that is how you have performed over the last one year, two years, or the we are building. How does it go further from that? It does take time, I would say, but I think the time uh, this thing has already changed, at least to uh, the people now that, that we are talking uh, uh, to a few folks. They are able to relate to uh, the space technology sector uh, already growing in with with the multiple companies like Bellatrix, uh, Agnipool, Tyroot and all that establishing in that sector. So that there's already a lot of work that has gone in and I think the change is already here. Right, so final question, Nitish, we've talked for an hour. Thank you so much for taking the time for you know recording this episode with me. So I'd love to know what you think is the future and the next, uh, let's say, three to five yourself uh, for yourself as Astrogate, and also what you think would happen with, uh, you know, a lot of the other Indian startups and their engagement with this row and others. So I, I will be a bit optimistic here. Uh, if that going by what what has gone over in the last nine months is so opening up to private uh, ecosystem participation in this. And I think it will increase further from here uh, on, on that regard. The companies already coming onto the space technology sector has an inherent advantage as of now to do something in, in the space technology or deep tech sector uh, right from India. And then they, they can get, get support from ISO, the RDO and the like. Uh, the venture community is also increasing. Uh, in that regard, now there is uh, some, some some form of capital available for uh, companies working out in this area. Other is, uh, I think, uh, and early on you will still need to go on certain grants and early stage capital. How you raise would probably be uh, much much more important in how you are actually maturing the technology over the multiple stages of fundraise uh, capital. For, for us specifically, we are looking forward in the next five years is just coming 2022 that we are able to complete this whole demonstration, get 
to deliver our early terminals to potential clients out there establish uh, starting with uh, two optical communication ground station that we want to put up by mid 2023 that's our uh, benchmark here and then finally uh, cater to the country specific needs and difference and uh, on, on, on those provinces in the whole way we still want to mature much of our technology and finally adopt the space to space communication Again, thank you very much, Nitish, for taking an hour. And I wish you all the best in your technology demonstration. And hopefully, you know, in a year or so, we would come back and we can have you as a guest back to talk about all the things that went on with uh, with all of that. And it, it would be a very exciting time. Thanks again, and uh, you know, have a have a great day ahead. All right. Thank you. Thank you, NP. It's, it's always a pleasure talking to you. And it was a much more insightful talk. Right? Thank you.